The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 506. Hi, I'm Stephen M. R. Covey. I'm the author of Trust and Inspire, The Speed of Trust, and Smart Trust. If there's one podcast you can trust for compelling, thoughtful, and life-changing conversations every week, it's the Read the Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. Enjoy. Do you feel that people aren't providing the information you need? Do you wonder whether the people in your department really understand your vision for where things need to go? Do you speculate about what your boss is really thinking? Have you ever thought about getting all this information and more by asking questions? Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. If you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, pick up a book. In fact, make it a habit. That's what this podcast is designed to help you do, going 10 and a half years strong. In fact, it was six years ago today that we began a streak here at the Read to Lead podcast, a streak that has yet to be broken. We have not missed a Tuesday publication since December 2017. That's a lot of books. And we break them down for you to make them simple to digest and to determine whether or not it's something you want to dive more deeply into. Do you want to buy the book? I think the answer to that question today is yes. We'll be sitting down in just a minute with author Bob Teedy. He's helped co-write the third edition of Dr. Michael Marquardt's Leading with Questions, how leaders discover powerful answers by knowing how and what to ask. I'll ask Bob to explain how we tell the difference between a telling leader and one who leads with questions and why the latter is actually as much as 10 times more effective We'll talk about the benefits of a questioning culture, what one looks like, and how you can begin developing one in your organization, why most of us have a hard time asking questions in the first place, and plenty more. If you want to take your leadership skills to another level in 2024, I can't think of a better way to do that apart from listening to this podcast than being a part of the Read to Lead Plus community online. Each month, we welcome guest experts to come in and share with us. I lead my own session every month as well. There are networking opportunities, monthly challenges, the chance to be featured in front of the entire community, access to all our business book summaries, and a whole lot more. A Read to Lead Plus membership is free to try for 14 days. In fact, if you joined today, you'd have until January 2nd, 2024 to determine whether or not it's ultimately for you. I think the answer to that question will be yes, because of continuing access to all the things I just mentioned. And not only that, it's just $9 a month after that two-week trial. If you want to find out more, I encourage you to go to this website. It's my name, jeffbrown.me. That's jeffbrown.me to find out more about becoming a member of our Read to Lead Plus community online. jeffbrown.me. Bob Teedy is CEO of leadingwithquestions.com, a blog followed by leaders in more than 190 countries. 
He serves on the U.S. Leadership Development Team for Crew, an international parachurch organization, and he's the author of about a half a dozen books. The book we're focusing on today, now in its third edition and co-written with Michael Marquardt, is called Leading with Questions, How Leaders Discover Powerful Answers by Knowing How and What to Ask. Well, Bob, I'm excited to have you here. I wanted to first welcome you to Read to Lead. It is an honor. So thank you. Jeff, it's, it's my privilege. I, I love the name Read to Lead. I, I share with people frequently, I eat books for breakfast. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm there with you on that one for sure. I, I, I like to say I, I, I've never said this out loud, but I'll say it now. I eat books for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How about that? I'm not trying to one-up <laughs> you or anything. but uh, There you do. I, I, I do. I do read quite a bit. And I want to uh, give a special thanks to our mutual friend, Dusty Rhodes who I had the privilege of working uh, not alongside necessarily. We worked for the same company in different cities, but got a chance to know him a little bit when I was first there early, like in 2000, 2001, the company sent us on a missions trip and several representatives went. He was a rep from his station that went. I was a rep from my station that went. And I just really think of Dusty as the perfect example of, of, of a servant leader. And in one sense, I think it's unfortunate we need to have that name servant leader because it, it suggests there are other kinds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but I look at Dusty as the perfect example of that. I, w- I wish I would have had opportunities to work with him more than I did. I did a little bit there early on and then, and then toward the end of my, my time there uh, again. But uh, yeah, just uh, so thankful that he's connected us. I didn't realize uh, until yesterday that the first edition of this book did not include your name on it, uh, that, that you uh, discovered the, the first edition. And now here you are, you've co-written the third edition with Michael Marquardt. How does that happen exactly? That sounds like a very interesting uh, story. <laughs> well, well, it is. It's a story that's a complete gift uh, to myself. Mm-hmm. My wife loves to go to bookstores. She goes all over the bookstore. <laughs> She knows when she's done, I'll still be in the leadership section. <laughs> and uh, my practice is to find three, four books I've never seen before, peruse them to decide if one's going home. Mm. And on that day, I found Leading with Questions, the first edition, perused a few pages, said, this one's going home. And it was a uh, a page turner for me. Mm. You know, every book I've ever read, I feel like there's a morsel I've gotten out of it. But I didn't realize when I bought the first edition that it would change my leadership forever, actually set me on a new path. I mean, wow. changed my life in, in certain ways. Because whenever I speak, I share a confession. My confession is that for most of my career, I was a benevolent dictator, <laughs> not out of evil intent, but my only paradigm of leadership was that a leader needs to tell staff what to do. A leader needs to give direction. And the benevolent part was use please and thank you. But as I'm reading Leading with Questions, the first edition, I mean, filled with stories of leaders literally from around the world, not just the U.S., and sharing the questions they were using. Jeff, I had only one question. Why hasn't anyone ever shared this with me before? (laughs) It made perfect sense. Uh, I I was already on our uh, leadership development team for the U.S. I began to teach out of the book. And uh, fast forward, when one of my colleagues encouraged me to start a blog, I said, well, what would I blog on? And as we were having that conversation, I thought, I don't want to do just another leadership blog, not because that wouldn't be good, but because there's so many good ones. Mm. And then I had this question, is there a niche of leadership? And as soon as I had that question, it was like, well, you'd be something about this leading with question thing. 
And so WordPress is one of the sites you can go to to assist you starting a blog. Well, one of the first questions is, what do you want the blog to be called? (laughs) And I smiled as I typed in the title of this book that wasn't my book, thinking surely the author who I didn't know or the publisher will have tied it up even if they're not using it. But no, it was there and available at you know, $29, whatever the entry level <laughs> cheapest price was. So I grabbed it. But, but Jeff, I felt just a little uh, um, uncertain. How would this author, Dr. Michael Morquart, professor at George Washington University, feel mm-hmm. about a blog with the title of his book, even though I hadn't stolen it, gotten it legally? Mm-hmm. Well, I decided to start posting and I wanted to get some content. So I waited a couple months and then I sent a carefully crafted email to Dr. Michael Morquart, thanking him for how his book had changed my leadership, that I'd started this blog. Might I have permission to excerpt from his book, make it the featured image, a link to Amazon for purchase? And at some point, okay, this email's done. I hit send wondering how it would be received. Mm. Within 24 hours, I had the most gracious response from Dr. Marquardt (laughs) saying, you've made my day, Bob, please excerpt to your heart's content. Thank you so very much. And then uh, maybe a year later, he came out with the second edition and he called me and said, Bob, would you be willing to do an endorsement? And could I list leadingwithquestions.com as a recommended resource? It's like, yes, yes. And then maybe a year later, I was in D.C., and we were able to connect. And then about 18 months ago, Mike called me and said, Bob, it's time for the third edition. And Bob, I'm calling to ask if you'd be the co-author. Wow. It's like, Mike, you have a Ph.D. You're on the faculty of George Washington. I have a college degree, but no master's. Why would you want me? And he said, well, Bob, in the interest of full disclosure, a new book requires about 25% new content. And at that point, my blog was already almost 10 years old. And he said, with over a thousand guest posts on your blog, you have all the new content we'll need. And so uh, not three months ago, but summer of 2022, we worked together for about six weeks. Uh, Dr. Marquardt is brilliant. Mm. He determined what to delete where he wanted to add. And I would feed him out of the blog post we already did Mm -hmm. uh, probably 10 times as much content as he needed for each chapter. So he'd have lots to pick and choose. Mm. And so that's the long story. This is really a gift that uh, he would invite me. And uh, Jeff, there's times I said, Mike, are you really sure? Maybe it should be you know, Dr. Michael Marquardt with Bob Teedy, meaning he contributed. But he said, no, no, I want you to be the co-author. So a total gift. <laughs> you get the you get the and, not the with. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, you talk about uh, telling, being a telling leader, and that certainly describes my early leadership career. It wasn't until I got to that company that uh, Dusty and I worked at that I really saw example after example after example around me of a different style of leadership and was taught you know, what leadership was really about. Uh, talk about the difference between a telling leader and, and one who leads with questions and why the latter, Bob, is actually, you say, as much as 10 times more effective. Well, it is. Jeff, let me ask you a, a question that I'm going somewhere with this. And the first question, Jeff, is a silly question, but understand I'm going somewhere. <laughs> if you were in a rowboat with, with your whole team, we'll say there's nine others in you on this team and you're the leader and uh, there's oars in this rowboat 
rowboat for everyone, and you want to get that rowboat across the lake as quick as possible, how many of them would you like to have row with you? All of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I told you it was a silly question, but here's where I'm going. Now, in the next picture, imagine that same team, but they're no longer in the rowboat. They're around your conference table. And there's an opportunity on the table. Now, listen to my first question really carefully. If you're a leader like I used to be, in other words, the benevolent dictator who thinks your job is to figure out how to take advantage of this opportunity, and then their job is to do what you tell them, how many mental oars are in the water trying to figure out how to take advantage of the opportunity? Just one. Yes, you. But if you're a leader who leads with questions, and so you say, gang, we have an opportunity, and you explain the opportunity, and then, you know, you... You look around the table, get eye contact with everyone and say, gang, what do you all think we might do? Mm. Now, with nine others around that table, plus you, 10 all together, how many mental oars might be in the water? It might be 10. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jeff, while it's not a guarantee, what is the probability that one of them might share an idea better than anything you were thinking? Uh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a guarantee, but now you're yeah. hearing from yeah. you and nine others. And, yeah. and as a leader, you still get to make the decision. But let's just say, Jeff, across the table sits Sarah, and Sarah shares an idea, and you're thinking, wow, that is brilliant. That's so much better than anything I was thinking. And so you say, Sarah, love your idea. In fact, Sarah, would you be willing to lead our whole team in executing on that? How hard will Sarah work? Uh, extremely. <laughs> yeah, because whose idea is she executing? Her own. Yeah. You know, there's a quote I love by Henry David Thoreau, who said, the greatest compliment ever paid me was when one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer. Any rate, those questions, you know, yeah, if, if we were on that rowboat, we want everybody. But if we're around that conference table, the leader who leads with questions is engaging all the brains. And like I say, it's not a guarantee, but with that many contributing, the probability is hearing something better. And, and the outcome then is owned by the team. And, and so they're then implementing something they help create versus the boss signs their paycheck, so we better do what he or she says. <laughs> Yeah, I keep thinking back to that company that Dusty and I worked at. His counterpart, my boss, was so good at exactly what you're describing, recognizing brilliant ideas and then putting that person in a position to then spearhead that idea and was really great about recognizing the collective brain power of the room Yeah, and, and really knowing how to, how to leverage it. Um, one of the chapters in the book addresses the, the benefits of a, of a questioning culture, uh, ultimately what you're getting at, I guess. What, what does a, yeah. a, a questioning culture look like exactly, and, and how might we as leaders go about creating one? I have another question, and, and I'm going to get to the answer, but uh, Jeff, do you like being told what to do? <laughs> My wife can tell you, no, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I've actually yet to meet a person who says, oh, I love being told what to do. And uh, if that's how we feel, why would we think our staff are any different than us? Great, great point. A questioning culture, I think, starts with a leader who understands, I actually don't get the best out of my staff 
if I'm telling them what to do, because no one likes to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. I'll ask another question, Jeff. How have you, you know, you talked about that positive experience at that station, but how did your your leader, the manager there make you feel every time they said, hey, Jeff, what do you think here we ought to do? How did that make you feel? Oh, I felt important. I felt empowered. I, I felt like my ideas were valued. Exactly. Without that manager saying, Jeff, I think you're smart. Jeff, I value your input. Just the act of asking and listening communicated that. And so in establishing a question culture, I think it starts with just the awareness. Nobody likes to be told what to do. And I don't get the best out of my people. And I'll actually get better by asking. And and then there's many ideas. Here's a, a couple simple ideas. Mm-hmm. Every leader has meetings. Most leaders put together an agenda, but so often the agenda just lists a series of topics. If you got the agenda ahead of time, you know, uh, I'll give an example. Okay, it says on here, national conference. But by seeing just national conference, do you know what the leader wants to discuss? Well, you can guess, but you don't know, should we have one? Where should we have it? How should we promote it? Who should we ask to speak? I don't know. It just says we're going to talk about that. Well, one idea for questioning culture is on your meeting agenda. Yeah, a leader may start by making a list of the topics, but then turn every one of those topics into the question you want answered. So a national conference, maybe the question is, how do we increase attendance from last year? Now, when you see that agenda, you say, oh, yeah, I understand what we're going to talk about. And again, the leader throughout the agenda is actually throwing out questions to that conference table where he or she is then going to listen to the input. But it's such a simple idea, and I'm not wanting to say just that establishes a questioning culture, but it's it's one of the steps to get there. And you get people showing up to the meeting who have given thought before stepping into the room about yeah. know, what their own ideas might be, right? Yeah. Another idea is uh, we're all familiar with brainstorming. Mm. Well, this is question storming. And and so, you, you know, like that conference table, another approach, we have an opportunity on the table and uh, we're going to use question storming, gang. And, and here's the first step. I want each of you, got markers for all of you, here's the whiteboard or here's posters or whatever. I want each of you to go up and write five questions that we need to answer regarding taking advantage of this opportunity. And so, boom, everybody puts their five questions up. And, and one of the superior things to, to a verbal brainstorming or, or even to a verbal question storming is there's no evaluation until all the five questions are up. So nobody can say, well, Jeff, yeah, that, that's not a good question. Or, or mm-hmm. Jeff, you know, uh, that won't work or whatever. No, everybody contributes. Then once you have the, let's say it's 10 people in the room, you get 50 questions up there. Now everybody reads everything. Thing, but there's no names necessarily attached. Now, maybe they know you're writing, but you, we haven't attached names. And uh, now you go up and vote. Like you can put five marks down by the five questions that you think would be the most strategic to answer. And so now we establish out of the 50 or however many on the board, the five. And then the leader says, okay, who's willing to go to the, do the research, the due diligence to get us the answer to this question? And the next and the next and the next, and you then have the agenda for the next meeting. But it establishes the value of questioning in order to, uh, to make decisions. Hmm. Those would be a couple thoughts. Why is it that most of us 
struggle with asking questions, have a hard time with this? Is it just easier not to ask questions? I guess maybe that's an obvious one that well, comes to mind. Jeff, whenever I speak, I ask the audience, who here would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Oh, and, and every hand goes up. <laughs> and I say, now, whenever I speak, I sense for my audience that men and women would like, leaders would like to learn to lead with questions, but they imagine they'll have to get a master's degree in questionology. In other words, it's it's like the educational process of what will be required in order to do this is so massive. I mean, Jeff, I've thought from time to time I'd love to make the money that a brain surgeon makes, <laughs> but probably not going to happen when I think of the educational process that would be required. Mm. So at any rate, when I say who would like to learn to leave with question in 30 seconds, every hand goes up and I always bring a volunteer up. Jeff, today you're my volunteer. Okay. And, and as they come up, I say, I pick Jeff because I think he has a photographic memory. Uh-oh. And they always kind of shake their head like, I don't think so. <laughs> and I say, well, I have a second hand on my watch. And, and here's how this is going to work. All you have to do is to memorize my four most favorite questions. Mm-hmm. And and you'll be able to lead with questions with just these four favorite questions. I'm going to say my first favorite question is, and that starts the clock. Mm-hmm. And when I'm done with all four, I'm going to say, do you have them memorized? And if you say yes, I'm going to say, Jeff, share them with us. And if you can share the four, all four successfully, that'll end the time. So you ready to go? Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. Jeff, my first favorite question is, what do you think? Second, what else? Third, what else? Fourth, what else? Jeff, do you have a memorized? As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> what are they? What do you think? What else? What else? And let me think here. What else? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm going to have changed that to who would like to learn to lead with questions in 19 seconds. <laughs> now, I always sense that some in the audience, though, are a little skeptical. Like, Bob, you can't ask somebody, what do you think? What else? What else? What else? And I say, well, of course, not in that rapid fashion. This is a conversation. And on what do you think you're going to add a topic? Hey, what do you think we ought to do about this opportunity? What do you think we could do about this challenge? What what do you think we could do to increase client retention? I mean, whatever the topic would be. And when you ask that question, a person's going to answer. Now, before I understood this, Jeff, I'd ask a question, get an answer and move on. What I didn't understand is that when we're asked to give input, and we do this instinctively, not real thought through, but instinctively, we, we are testing the waters by rolling out that first answer. And so if I say, Jeff, what do you think about, and you give me that first answer, and I say, well, Jeff, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. <laughs> You're sorry you answered. Next time, I'll get nothing. But when right. I say, wow, Jeff, that's good. Say more. What else? Mm. Well, you relax. Think, wow, Bob's appreciating what I'm sharing, and you'll give me more. And then you'll pause again. And instead of just moving on, I'm probably grab a pen and say, Jeff, I've got to take notes. This is gold. Please continue. Say more about this. Mm. And Jeff now gives me more. You know, we've all heard about the proverbial gold miner, the guy who mined for gold, looking for the gold vein all his life, never found it, quit. Person came along later and discovered the old miner was within six inches when he quit. Well, if you only ask somebody, what do you think? and then move on, you're like, you didn't get to their gold nugget. You got close, but you didn't get it. And the real promise, going back to 
why do most leaders not lead with questions is I think they imagine it's much more difficult than it really is. Mm. Some of the greatest questions are so simple. They really are. What do you think? I once met with a manager of a Marriott that we were staying at, and he asked me if I was aware of uh, what Bill Marriott considered to be the four most important words in the English language. And I said, no, I, I don't know that. I said, I bet there's a story. He said, well, there is. He said, when Bill Marriott, founder of Marriott, but when he was 22, he was in the Navy. He came home to the Marriott farm for uh, a furlough weekend. And then uh, his father had invited then President Eisenhower to the Marriott farm to go pheasant hunting on a Saturday morning. Well, it turned out the cold front had come through. It was wet, rainy, and windy and cold. (laughs) And they're sitting around the, the breakfast table trying to figure out what to do. Young Bill Marriott is standing over at the fireplace. And at some point, then President Eisenhower gets up, walks over, and says, Bill, what do you think? Mm. And Bill answered and said, I think we ought to stay in. And President Eisenhower said, good decision. (laughs) But as he reflected on that later, he began to realize, wow, the brilliance of Eisenhower, who, who was a commander of the Allied troops, who had to relate to Churchill and de Gaulle and, and Roosevelt and to generals in, in all those countries, strong personalities. Mm. Well, one of the things he did to manage that was he was always curious to ask, what do you think? He, he, not necessarily that he would go with every suggestion, but he was curious to ask. And so Bill Marriott considers the four most important words in the English language to be, what do you think? Mm. And for a leader who's only been a teller, as I say, it's this simple. Imagine your next meeting with a staff member one-on-one or with your staff around your table, whatever the topic is, by simply saying, hey, Joe, what what do you think we ought to do here? And then what else? And and say more about that. And hey, I'm taking notes. Please continue. It's that simple. And these sound too, these examples you're giving, Bob, sound too like a great avenue toward establishing a coaching relationship with your direct reports. Is that true? Yeah, well, absolutely. Jeff, you didn't share this in, in, in introducing me, but I'm a farm boy from South Dakota. I always say, you got to keep it simple for me. If leading with questions was complicated, I couldn't do it. <laughs> but the fact that it's that it's uh, simple. And, and even in the coaching relationship, they come to you, hey, I'm working on this project. So often they come to the boss with kind of like, what should I do? Well, one of my favorite responses is, you decide. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. What's the goal here? Mm. Can you put that in measurable terms? Where do you want to be when? So we can measure the progress. And then the next question is, well, where are we at now on this? It's like in the old days, uh, it's now done automatically for us on navigation uh, kind of things. But when we used to have a map, you had to figure out where do I want to go? Where am I at now? And then you figure out the plan. So you really say, hey, where do you want to go? Where are you at now? And uh, Jeff, so what's the plan to get from here to there? You know, what will your first steps be? You know, depending on what it is, some things are going to require six months of diligence. Hey, what's your first steps? Mm. When do you want to get those first steps done by? And, uh, you know, what resources are you going to need? And you may ask as a leader, what can I do to help? What can I do to help you be successful? What about leveraging questions to help create change, needed change? We, we talk a lot on this show uh, with varying authors about change and navigating change. How, how do questions come into play here? When Navy Admiral Michael W. Abershoff took over the command of the USS Benfold, 
I think we have about 300 ships in the U.S. Navy, and morale on that ship, however the Navy measures it, was the lowest of all ships in the Navy. Mm. 18 months later, under his command, retest of morale was the highest. It went literally from worst to first. Well, the first thing he did upon taking command is he set up 300 one-on-one meetings with 300 sailors on his ship. And in that meeting, he asked them three questions. What do you like best about our ship? What do you like least? What would you change if you could? And he listened. Now, he didn't make a promise to make every change that was suggested, but he made note of it all. Jeff, guess who he gave credit to for the change ideas when he began to announce the changes? I'm guessing the sailors. Yes. <laughs> Imagine you're, you're, you're at the lowest level and you've had one of these meetings. Mm. And uh, the admiral, over there is Jeff Brown. Jeff <laughs> shared this idea. Jeff, we're going to implement that. Wow. You stood about 10 feet tall. <laughs> you know, at the end of the first day, he might have only met with 10 or 15 sailors. He had a whole bunch of these visits left to go. Mm-hmm. But there was a buzz on the ship at the end of the first day. The new captain's different. Right. <laughs> He's actually asking us for input. And when you just hear that story, you say, well, no wonder morale on that ship increased because he asked and he listened. There's another thing that's really fascinating. I Sometimes I, I say, what's the difference between these two decision-making processes? And they have the same three boxes, but they're organized differently. On the top one, leader makes decision, leader informs staff, leader asks if there's any questions. Mm-hmm. The second process is, Leader announces, we're thinking of making changes in this area. What questions might you all have? Then leader makes decision. Third box, leader informs staff. And so I say, what's the difference? Well, it's when do you ask for the input? Mm-hmm. You know, I have bruised knuckles and knees and shins to say I often used a decision-making process one. Made decision, informed staff. You ask if there are any questions. Now, you think their questions are going to be about implementation. Instead, they say, well, Bob, did you think about this? <laughs> did you consider this? Yeah. And suddenly you realize, no, but now you're between a rock and a hard place. Do you cave and say, we're going to go back to the drawing board, or no, we've made the decision? Well, I say, you don't have to be in that. If you use decision-making process too, you say, hey, we're thinking of making some changes in this area. What questions would you have? What questions should we be looking at? And you get all the questions up front that you would have gotten at the end. You still get to make the decision. This is so fascinating, Jeff. Not my research, but research I found is that when staff are asked to give their input prior to a decision being made, they will actually support a decision opposite of their input if that ends up being the decision because they felt respected in being asked prior to the decision. Now, I don't share that to suggest you manipulate your staff that still has to be a genuine process. Mm-hmm. But some people would say, but, you know, I may get input and we may not be able to use it. Well, you need to know that if you're genuine about it, the majority of staff will actually support a decision opposite because you respected them to get input up front. Mm. Well, you mentioned you eat uh, books for breakfast. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do a very difficult thing. Uh, and if you can recommend a book or two to us. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I love this book, The Little Red Book of Wisdom by Mark DeMoss. Mm. Uh, just an incredible little book. Then, Dare to Serve. It's For me, this is the best book on servant leadership I've ever read. Mm. Cheryl Batchelder, 
who was the CEO of Popeye's Chicken, uh, during her time there, shares went from $10 a share to $60 a share under her leadership. Mm. And Cheryl shares that she used servant leadership to turn Popeye's around. And uh, it's an incredible book. Then let's see what else is here. Power Questions by Andrew Sobel and Gerald Panis. Filled with stories. I think there's 30-some stories in here. And every time you read one of their stories that focuses around a great question, it's like you'll, you'll finish reading and you'll be looking for who can you ask. Well, thank you for those recommendations. Each of those in the 10 and a half years of this show are first-time recommendations. So I always love uh, hearing about new books I've not yet uh, had a chance to, to dig into. Well, Bob's book, again, along with uh, Michael Markwort, is called Leading with Questions, How Leaders Discover Powerful Answers by Knowing How and What to Ask. Buy one for yourself and for your team. Bob, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate having you on. Jeff, privilege. Thanks for inviting me. You know, I really love learning from people who have been practicing their expertise for decades. If you'd like to find out more about Bob, connect with him online, and check out the resources we referenced today, then visit the show notes page created just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 506 for episode 506. Don't forget, too, my invitation to join the Read to Lead Plus community, or at least try it free over the Christmas and New Year's Day holidays. If you do decide that you want to stick around, it's just $9 a month after that free trial. JeffBrown.me, the website to check out there. You'll recall that about November, December of last year, AI made a huge splash with the advent of chat gpt and now bard and many others we will end 2023 talking about those topics as we dive into a book from brian evergreen called autonomous transformation creating a more human future in the era of artificial intelligence that's next time on the read to lead podcast that's it for this week hope to see you next time until then as always remember leaders read and readers lead 